0: American forces overseas, this is the Far East Network. Well, that's the radio I listened to as a child. Good evening. Welcome to Beijing Diary. This is Eric in Beijing, and I want to talk to you about some of the extraordinary changes in uh, communication, a really a uh, communications revolution that has taken place over the span of my life, and especially how that uh, communications revolution has affected China's relationship with the world. Because, you know, in China, it's common to uh, to hear a talk about China's reform and opening up. And of course, that's uh, government policy. But I want to talk about how the Internet has enforced a sort of opening up that uh, is independent of Government policy and perhaps at times militates against that uh, policy. Uh, it's an extraordinary uh, development in our modern world, which has really uh, opened up communications and relationship, and thinking and uh, the flow of ideas. So now, uh, getting back to the radio that I listened to, it was a shortwave station, the uh, Armed Forces Radio from Tokyo. But I lived in uh, northern Japan, about three, four hundred miles away. Uh, so uh, the the most predominant means of uh, long-distance uh, communications of this nature was shortwave. Now, uh, without getting too technical, uh, the radio waves, as you know, travel in a straight line. They go out into space and eventually dissipate. But it turns out that different Uh, uh, radio waves of different frequencies and different lengths uh, operate uh, behave differently. Now of course we know that the speed of light is 185,000 miles a second or 300 million meters. So the speed of light is constant. And so because of that if you have a, a high frequency you've got short waves. And just to give you a feel of this, if you uh, drive across the countryside in uh, America, you see radio towers occasionally. Those radio towers are quarter-wave verticals. It's actually a half-wave uh, antenna because the other half of the, uh, the half-wave is, uh, is the ground plane. But at any rate, uh, the tower that you see is... Measured to exactly one quarter of the physical length of the wave from crest to crest, and this does have to be exact because if you, when you're transmitting, when you when you're receiving a signal, it's a little more forgiving. But when you're transmitting a signal, if your if the ratio is not correct, if your measurement of your tower, length of your tower is not exact, you get uh, it's called a, a a standing wave ratio SWR back in your transmitter and it uh, greatly lowers the efficiency of your transmission. So that tower that you see is measured to exactly one quarter of the length of the wave. So that's, uh, that's quite a long wave. Whereas if you look at an FM transmitter, the tower might be measured in centimeters because FM is what we call VHF very high frequency or UHF ultra-high frequency. In between the uh, typical AM frequency and the FM frequencies would be what we call short wave. You don't hear too much about short wave in America because uh, there, there's much more access to uh, radio and especially English language radio of course but internationally, it's quite uh, quite a bit more prominent. So, when a radio wave goes out into space, it uh, eventually dissipates. Uh, but different wa- we find that different wavelengths have different properties. For example, an AM station you can uh, has pretty good ground wave propagation. You can follow that station for a hundred miles. FM stations strictly line of sight. and follow it very for a very short distance. Short waves, uh, what we call short wave, they are in between. And what happens with short waves is that they bounce off the ionosphere in the upper ap- atmosphere. Now, when we say bounce, that's not technically correct. Uh, they don't. It's not actually reflection. It's refraction. Uh, the, the wave bends when it hits the ionosphere and bends so sharply that it actually comes back to earth. This refraction varies as the frequency. So for example, when I was a radio operator an amateur radio operator, I had a tower in my backyard and I operated on on four bands: a 10 meter band, 15 meter band, 40 meter band, and the 80 meter band. I was on uh, transmitting on 80 meters, I could uh, contact Montana quite easily, but the east or west coast would be more difficult. On 15 meters, real easy to get to New Jersey, but Montana was harder. So the refraction of that wave varies as the length, and so if you get just the right frequency, the wave comes down at a distance. You know, depending on, on what the frequency is, several hundred miles or maybe a thousand or so miles. And when I was young, the, uh, the the signal that was being transmitted from Tokyo was refracted back to Earth, just about at the location where I lived. So we would hear that radio station come booming in just like a local AM station, even though it was several, several hundred miles away. Now I also would listen to scan across the dial and try to listen to any kind of English language broadcast I could find. And I would hear uh, the Voice of America and Radio Moscow. But uh, when I was sitting in my home in uh, northern Japan, my hometown, and I would hear a voice saying this is the Voice of America from Omaha, Nebraska, that uh, signal wasn't actually being beamed directly from Omaha. It was probably relayed and then beamed from uh, a VOA tower in Guam or the Philippines. And when I would uh, listen to Radio Moscow, the English-language Radio Moscow, probably not being beamed directly from Moscow, but uh, relayed and beamed from uh, Vladivostok or somewhere on the other side of the Sea of Japan. So, pretty easy to get a good, strong shortwave signal over a distance of several hundred miles the advantage of uh, that sort of signal was that uh, you didn't have to have any infrastructure in between if you had a transmitter on one end and a receiver on the other end your infrastructure basically was uh, the ionosphere so uh, it was difficult to interfere with that signal you couldn't sabotage the infrastructure now the Soviets uh, had a way to deal with this they had uh, jamming stations, which would uh, transmit gibberish and garbage on that same frequency at v- with very high wattage, and something that uh, an amateur radio operators used to call the Russian woodpecker. And we'd uh, hear it, you know, when you tune across the dial. You got a shortwave uh, transmitter, shortwave receiver. You tune across the dial, and you can hear that, da 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 da. You know, the Soviets. Uh, jamming international shortwave broadcasts Uh, but uh, then the Soviet Union fell and uh, things changed and uh, of course we have the dawn of the internet and so shortwave as a medium of communication although it still exists certainly certainly still there but not nearly as predominant because of the internet so we need to look at the technology of the internet and how that difference. The technology of the Internet is based on uh, what we call a packet switching technology. Internet data is uh, packaged in uh, little packets and uh, shipped across the wire. Uh, let me see if I can uh, illustrate how this happens. Uh, the, the, the example that I give uh, or at least it used to quite a bit when I was teaching in, uh, in Arizona to, to, to my American students was the London Bridge, which is now in Lake Havasu. It's an old bridge in London, and uh, they wanted to tear it out. And Of course, that's quite a costly uh, process to remove a bridge, get rid of everything. So somebody in London came up with the idea and said, I know what we can do. Let's just uh, sell it to the Americans. So they uh, they sold it to a businessman. Sure enough an American businessman bought it I probably got it for a song, I don't know what he paid for it, but he, his uh, part of the uh, agreement was he had to clean the area out, he had to completely remove it. And so he did. Uh, Bricks, you know, were labeled and everything and uh, they shipped it to the states and it's now in uh, Lake Havasu, Arizona. That's how data is sent across the internet. Now that's, that's far from a perfect analogy. To make it a little bit more perfect, what you'd have to do is you'd have to take each one of those bricks from that bridge in London, wrap it in an individual package, and mail it uh, individually to Arizona. That's how the internet works each packet has a what we call an IP address and I don't know, I don't want to get too much too, too much detail here about uh, IP technology but uh, at any rate there's an IP address uh, IP stands for Internet Protocol and each packet is uh, individually addressed and then routed across the internet from source to destination now I suppose you know you could assume that uh, with any given download say you're downloading a file an MP3 file and let's say that file is uh, six or seven megabytes maybe three or four megabytes each packets gonna have I don't know anywhere from 100 to 300 uh, bytes of data so you can do the math and figure out how many packets you'd need and if you're downloading a file and you get a pretty good uh, wide bandwidth uh, connection, you could probably assume that those packets are going to follow roughly the same pathway, but they don't have to. They could go uh, different directions, and and, be ru- and remember, routers on the internet don't route between computers; they route between networks. So the internet is basically just a bunch of routers connected, and uh, the packet switching technology is designed so that the packet takes the shortest shortest path first so assuming everything stays constant for the duration of that download the packets would probably follow the same path but wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have to then when they get to the receiving computer they are reassembled and there is a mathematical uh, uh, verification now remember we're talking about digital technology data is digital that means digital of course means refers to numbers everything is represented by a number and we're talking about the binary number system now why do we use the binary number system because it only has two digits every computer is basically a bunch of circuits that are either on or off so you've got this data now, if you if you compare it to analog, uh, with analog you have a, a theoretically infinite variety of different uh, uh, sounds that could be represented, but an analog can also be corrupted more easily. Whereas with digital, it's not infinite; it's a very very large number, but you have every bit of data, which could be the tone of your voice. Uh, you know, how high and uh, all the, uh, you're singing, of course, and you've got a band playing and all that information, that's the that's data. Those are sounds, and and every one of those sounds is represented by a number. One, zero, 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 one, one, zero, zero, one, one, zero, one, zero whatever. And every uh, sound would be represented by its own number. So the thing about digital is it isn't as, is infinite as analog but it's much easier to reproduce the same sound because when you send a a file of, of digital data across a wire you can do a mathematical check at the other end and as long as it's mathematically sound mathematically identical you're gonna have it's going to be I, the sound is going to be identical the auto is going to be identical so you don't have things like static you do sometimes with streaming audio over the internet, you do sometimes have interruptions, breaks in the stream and so on. But you don't have static because you're getting something that's mathematically identical to the original digital file. So the, uh, the packets that are sent across the internet, and we're using the example of an mp3 file, it could be an email, anything, uh, the, they are reassembled at the receiving computer, and a mathematical check verifies that the, uh, what is received is mathematically identical. And so you hear exactly what you would have heard if you'd been at the other end. That's how the Internet works. And so we move from email, basically text-based communication, to MP3 files, and now what is quite common, more and more common, a streaming video, and uh, we will. Uh, I will download uh, whole television programs and watch them, or stream them. Uh, with podcasting, of course, uh, I I have a uh, podcasting software, and you can use. Uh, there are several available. I use iTunes. Apple, of course, has the iTunes, uh, the iPod. And they don't give that away, but they do give the software away, the iTunes software, because they figure that if you, uh, they give you the software, you will eventually buy the iPod. But you don't have to. You can use the iTunes software on your computer, and I use it to download podcasts. It's really no different from going to the website and downloading the MP3 file, but except that it's done automatically. So with iTunes, you subscribe to a podcast, and then uh, every time you open up iTunes, it will go to all the websites of the podcasts you've subscribed to, check to see if uh, there's a more recent uh, podcast, mp3 file, and it will download it automatically. Now I say mp3, but now we're getting more and more of uh, mp4 files. I have a podcast with uh, ABC News. Which is video, very very enhanced, advanced video, very high quality video. So the internet is changing. It used to be back in the 90s, you know, you'd go to a website, you'd see some links on it, you click on a link and go to another web page. You'd see some links, you might click on a link and go to another web page, or you go back to the other web page. Of course, we still do that, but we have also incorporated a whole other uh, realm of communication. Audio and video, so that now the internet is becoming our radio. For me, it already is, it's the only radio I listen to, and it's becoming our television. The television's got a ways to go because it requires a lot more bandwidth. So, that technology is in development, but I still watch a fair amount of television on the internet. Uh, programs that I download, or, you know, uh, well, one program I watch is McLaughlin Group, and the other one I mentioned, the uh, ABC podcast, ABC Evening News with Charles Gibson. Uh, I still watch conventional television. I watch Dialogue on CCTV9, the English language television station. But television is slowly moving to the internet, and as I said, radio has has moved to the internet in very very to a very very large measure I have a radio but I, I never use it I, I only use the internet for radio and I guess that's because I I want to listen to English language radio uh, China Radio International does have a English language uh, station in Beijing but it's not primarily news and information it's a music station and it's young people like it a lot of university students listen to it and I listen to it occasionally But most of the time, I'm listening to uh, some sort of uh, internet radio, BBC or whatever. So the internet has, the the technology has really changed. Now, for me, it's a a very, very uh, stark comparison. Because as I said, I was always interested, from the time I was a young child, in listening to long-distance communications. But with shortwave... It varies so much because it depends a lot on the weather. You've got uh, a lot of electrostatic activity you, in the atmosphere. You you, you get interference. Uh, it it's uh, very susceptible to the 11-year sunspot cycle. At certain times, certain frequencies are very easy to get. Other times, not so easy. So uh, you know you have a lot of static, and you know, shortwave just wasn't perfect. As I said, where I lived was was right within the range of that skip, so that the the signal coming back to Earth was pretty strong. We had pretty decent shortwave communications between Tokyo and where where we lived. It was pretty good. It was uh, it was basically our local radio station. But you know, listen to the Voice of America or some other broadcast. Sometimes you get a lot of uh, interference. Uh, with the internet uh, you don't deal with that because as i said it's a digital so what the file that you get in your computer is mathematically identical to the one that was sent again the old uh, analog uh, traditionalists will complain because they say digital is not really infinite and uh, so you you get a distorted sound well there is a certain amount of truth to that for example i use uh, a program called Audacity to record audio from the internet. And when I actually export that as an MP3 file, when I create the MP3 file, I choose how many bits I'm going to have. So for music, uh, if I choose uh, you know, anything below 64 bits, you're going to get some dist- distortion. Now there's distortion with 64 bits too, but your ear doesn't really pick it up that much so you know with compression with audio compression it really for the most part unless except for the fact that you know music is uh the, the music that you hear in, a, in an mp3 file does not have the audio quality of an old vinyl record it's it's just not not there but for the most part the audio that you hear you can adjust your your bit rates so that it's within the range of what your ear can distinguish so for practical purposes it works really well for music I I, I agree that uh, you're making a compromise hopefully not too much of a compromise but at any rate the internet has really revolutionized long-distance communication okay that's all for this evening next time I want to talk about some of the practical ways in which this communications revolution has enhanced our access to information. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted online at beijingdiary.podbean.com. That's beijingdiary.podbean.com.